2: We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. to freedom of species where a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3cr community radio before us you heard sally with out of the pan make sure you check that out 12 till 1 every sunday for all things pansexual and check out all previous shows via the 3cr website On the show today, we're going to be dealing with some big big philosophical questions about uh, animals and big questions around, you know, bringing animals into the world and our responsibilities towards them and all these kind of big philosophical questions. But we are going to bring it back to practical implications for activists as well. Um, So, yeah, I'm Nick Pendergrass and I'm joined by Jamie Woodhouse, who has been on the show a few times. Um, Welcome back to the show, Jamie.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back.
2: Thank you. And do you want to say a little bit about, a little bit about yourself before we get into the discussion today?
1: Yeah, of course. So my name's Jamie Woodhouse, and it's great to be back. And My main project, as people will know if they've heard me here before, is popularising and developing a really simple, pluralistic worldview called sentientism, which I summarise as uh, evidence, reason, and compassion for all sentient beings. So in simple terms, it's a sort of naturalistic, scientific way of understanding the world, um, and it's also granting moral consideration or compassion for every sentient being, any being that has the capacity to experience things, to suffer, to flourish. So it's pretty simple, but uh, as with many of these philosophies, has some pretty radical implications.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess the a, as a starting point to sort of get into the discussion today, I guess we should, as much as we're critical of this view that we're going to talk about, we should at least outline this view. So do you want to just... Uh, talk about the the kind of the the idea that that is out there um, t- towards animals that we're going to sort of critique throughout the show today and discuss.
1: Yeah, of course. So one one way of or a name that's that's given to this way of thinking sometimes is called the logic of the larder, and the idea is that it, it can be good to bring animals into existence and then. Kill them. It can be better to do that than to not bring them into existence at all. Um, so that's a sort of simple view, and it might be quite interesting to resist the temptation to challenge that argument and just to lay out the rationale for it a little bit more clearly. And I'll try to uh, you know hold back from criticising for the moment. Um, I think it, it starts with a few different suggestions, and one is that creating a positive life a good life is a good thing to do Um, and that seems quite intuitive you know that's the decision many of us take if we for example have kids or um, uh, you might apply that into the non-human animal space as well right what what could be negative about creating a positive life so that's one input to this argument another input to the argument is that um, while suffering might be a bad thing to cause death by itself might not be intrinsically negative. So if you could kill without causing any suffering, so there's no suffering to the individual involved, there's no suffering to their family, there's no other knock-on impacts at all, it's purely an isolated killing with zero suffering, maybe that isn't a negative thing because once the being is dead, there's no moral patient, there's no experience, there's no one to be harmed. And if you can do the killing without causing any suffering, arguably there's no harm being done there either. So we have this view that you know, it can be good to create a good life. We have this view that in isolation, a painless death with no suffering isn't intrinsically bad. Um, a third view that can come play into this is an idea that might be a bit more contentious, even more contentious, is that of replaceability. So this idea might be, well, if we painlessly kill one being, but then replace them with another being that has a really good life, net-net, that's okay, isn't it? Because one life has ended, but another good life has begun. And overall, when we add these things up, you know, what's the problem? We can replace the positive existence of one with the lack of existence of another. And more broadly, there's a few approaches that I think are applied here, which you'll see in lots of different thought experiments. And we'll come back to this idea of thought experiments later on, because this is um, quite a good example. One is this idea of bundling, where you can take different actions and decisions and put them together in a package and evaluate that package. So in this context, what we're doing is we're bundling the idea of creating a new being, <clears throat> you know, allowing them to breed or artificial insemination or whatever the mechanism might be. So that creation, which we've already said maybe is a positive thing to do if that being is going to have a good life. But we're bundling that with the killing that happens at the end of their life. And we're saying, look, let's bundle those two things together. Let's not separate it. Let's bundle them because there's just one big choice here. But we're also going to limit our choices because we're going to say there's this bundle of choices, create and then kill, versus the idea of not creating at all. And we might look at those together and say, well, which is better? Is it better not to create at all, or is it better to create, have a good life, and then kill, particularly if that killing is done painlessly? And if we look at that one bundle versus the other bundle, you know, what, what's the best approach to take? And as part of that bundling, there's another idea called offsetting, which sort of justifies the bundling in a way, which says, look, even if you think there's something wrong about painless killing – isn't that offset? Isn't that balanced out? Isn't that justified by the fact that we also created the positive life in the first place? So I should probably stop talking, but there's a bundle of, you know, lines of thought there, which you could see some, you know, value in and some intuitive resonance as well. But when you put them all together, add up to this view that if the choice is not to create a being at all versus create a being, help them have a happy, positive life, and then kill them painlessly you know, so that, for example, we could then eat their flesh. You know, the latter would be the better thing to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, in. I think that's my attempt at encapsulating the argument that someone might put forward. I don't know if that's captures it from your point of view
2: yeah absolutely yeah it totally does and just another example of that i um i was yeah thinking about these issues and hearing you talking about them on on your sentientism podcast it reminded me back uh to an article i wrote all the way back in 2012 uh, where it was a man was charged with animal cruelty for killing and eating a puppy and he was fined two thousand five hundred dollars. Um, yeah, was under the charge of animal cruelty. Um, and the judge said it was abhorrent and shocking, the worst case animal cruelty he had seen. Um, even though the person this was in, yeah, Western Australia, he said that he killed the puppy humanely, but that didn't seem to make much of a difference. But yeah. We yeah when it comes to other species of animals that, that argument might get a bit more um get a bit more weight and so yeah I wrote that article again a long time ago on online opinion um and had a lot of comments on the article and some not not particularly productive discussions but yeah. at, <laughs> at the time I was kind of like I didn't want to preach to a vegan audience I wanted to be reaching um, reaching people who weren't already vegan um, and I was definitely doing that but I also th- after writing a few articles there perhaps an audience that wasn't particularly receptive to veganism either um but anyway just one of the comments on the article again i was kind of taken um back or it took me back to this um these discussions because the the the, a a person comment on the article who was an animal farmer and kind of didn't use this um didn't use that same language or jargon based what they're getting at so they're basically so i made the argument that There was a lot of back and forth, but it was one individual choosing not to eat and where animal products is not going to end all the suffering in the world, but it will reduce suffering. So it was kind of a worthwhile pursuit. And so in response, the person argued... Or so you imagine, that really depends on what you eat and what sort of animals were raised. If they're the lambs on my farm, they did not suffer, but actually had very happy lives. Personally, I also eat free-range eggs and free-range chickens. So the only thing that I would achieve by following your advice, and that was advice promoting veganism, is to deny them the happy lives which, which they now have. Yes, those lives end, but so does yours. If you were hit by a bus tomorrow, it would be shortened too, like it or not that's life if we if, if we risk living we risk dying but do not confuse dying with suffering um so it, from their point of view that their farming was a win for the animals and them and win-wins are rare and good to get in life and and that kind of thing um so yeah basically exactly what you said but it was just yeah just interesting to kind of see those same ph- philosophical arguments like as a, yeah a critique i've actually gotten in, in articles um Promoting veganism, or sort of questioning—I guess in that case, questioning—well, if we're against a puppy being killed humanely, then then why are we accepting a pig being killed humanely, or whatever species you want to insert there? So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that that gives a, a pretty good overview of the um, of the idea that we're going to sort of discuss and, and delve into today. Um, and you can, you yeah. can also take it a little bit further because. In a way, I've talked about this idea being predicated on
1: this idea of the possibility there being a, a death with no suffering uh, that might be you know, a morally neutral thing to do. But in a sense, if you think that the life is positive enough and there's enough value in having created this positive life, it might even be strong enough to justify a painful death. So, you know, why do we need even a humane, in inverted commas, death? Yeah. You know, arguably, if we've created this life and it's good enough, could that even justify us? Torturing a being to death at the end, you know. So you can see how these ideas of offsetting and balancing can um, take you from the thought experiment place back into normal animal agriculture too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as you've just done there, I mean, that's 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 a really good segue into thinking about how you might challenge that. Is to um, think about think up, uh, you know, how would that work if we applied it to other species of non-human animals, but also classically how would that exact same philosophical logic work if we applied it to us humans? You know, if we used it to justify, for example, farming human infants for food, or does the fact that, you know, I've created my children and given them good lives, give me the right to harm them or even kill them later on. All of a sudden you jump from a position that intuitively can feel quite reasonable if we're talking about non-human animals in farms that we're very used to, deprecating and objectifying and thinking about in a certain way and when you apply that exact same philosophical logic to a puppy or to humans all of a sudden our intuitions push the other way um and sometimes that's you know just an emotive reaction and you need to cut through that and think cleanly but i think it also does help us expose the reasons and the flaws in in that logic for when it's applied to non-human farm animals too
2: Absolutely. And I think we, it's probably a perfect time actually going to our opening song because this is a song that actually does that exactly. So it's by a band, Propagandy, who are very outspoken about animal rights issues and have been for a long time. So the song is Humane Meets the Flensing of Sandor Cats uh, by Propagandy. I do have to give a note about swearing and I guess I also, in a way, have to give note that it is quite graphic and violent, but also, I guess, getting back to Jamie's point, in a way, if we substitute like a human for at least certain non-human animals like a pig and a cow or a chicken, etc., some people think, Not only is it not harmful, but actually doing the animal a favour and they're doing a positive thing in the world, So, uh, which I guess says something about the violence in what we're discussing here. But um, are, are you familiar with Sandor Cats at all, Jamie, or...?
1: I'm not so, no, that, that. I, I'm familiar with propaganda largely through you telling me about them, and <laughs> but I haven't heard this song before, and I I don't know the Sandor Cut story either.
2: Yeah, so basically it was a, a book that the the lead singer um, Chris Hanna, was reading uh, about ethic leading. He said it was a really good book and about environment and that kind of thing, but then it got onto the animal chapter, and he was not so on board, and was basically all about. Yeah, this sort of idea of killing humanely and relating to the animal and respecting the animal and all that kind of thing. And so, yeah, um, yeah, Chris Hannah has written that song where it's okay. This if this so is so respectful and it's engaging with a relationship that kind of thing. Well, then this author advocating this, like I guess, how would they feel if they were on the other end of the equation? Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> turn the tables exactly. Mm-hmm. Which in es- is that's the essence of morality right taking the perspective of the other so i think you know it's entirely fair that he turns the tables and uh uses that thought experiment
2: you know? Absolutely. <laughs> i swear i did my best to ensure
0: that this final Capitated head in a stockpot Pulled off his flesh and made a Spreadable head cheese Cause I believe that one can only relate with Another living creature by completely destroying it I'm sure Santa's friends and family would appreciate this
1: Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response
3: service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained
2: and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may
3: need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
2: Welcome back to Freedom of Species. I'm joined on the show by Jamie Woodhouse, and we're, um, yeah, discussing arguments around sort of supposedly humane animal agriculture or that we in a way are doing animals a favor by breeding them into existence even though we cut their lives short that that kind of argument and we just heard um i think a particularly relevant song um humane meet the flensing of sand or cats by propaganda and yeah as jamie touched on before we heard the song i guess it's that idea of I think a lot of it can kind of make sense if we're taking on the perspective of like the human, like the dominant group in the situation, that the the group who's winning out on it, in case in some cases financially, in terms of those in animal agriculture, but also people in you know, general society who might enjoy eating animals or th- those kind of things. But as soon as we we flip it around and actually try and do our best, that as limited as that is, as then we can never totally do it, but at least trying to sort of see the relationship see the issue through the lens of the non-human animals or one who's disadvantaged in the situation, we might be, it, it might sound a lot less humane, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think that
2: that, <clears throat> that flipping it around helps us to see some of the pushbacks
1: to that argument. And I don't know if it's useful to go through some of the ways I tend to think about how we might challenge those arguments and what the responses might be. Go ahead. Um, So a good one to start with is this idea of, you know, is a painless, suffering-free death intrinsically wrong? Um, And a good way of thinking about that is, well, do I want to be painlessly killed? And the simple answer is no. But I think we can broaden that out um, across the animal world pretty cleanly too, because I think many people would say that morality is about considering the interests of others, and it's pretty obvious that... You know, other sentient beings don't like suffering. That's almost in the definition of the word suffering is it's a negative valence experience, something we, we don't like, right? That's almost definitionally true. So we have that interest in not suffering that leads many people to focus on sentience and to see needlessly causing suffering as a bad thing. But I think it's reasonable to say that we also, regardless of suffering, have an interest in continuing to live and not die. And some people will say, well, okay, well, humans have an interest in living and not dying because we have maybe this more advanced cognition. We have plans for the future. We have ideas about where we want to go and what we want to do. We have these more rich goals and a sense of our own, the possibility of our own death. So maybe in the human situation, uh, you know, a, a painless or a suffering-free death is still wrong because it goes against our interests. But do non-human animals really have an interest in continuing to live? Um and I think the strong answer has to be yes, and the reason I think that is because I think the interest in living and not dying is probably just as deep as the interest in not suffering in an evolutionary sense. You can see why those interests aim to evolve in probably the you know Precambrian or the Cambrian in quite simple animals, and why those interests I think are very likely to be very broadly distributed across the um, animal kingdom now. So I think that idea of having interests in not dying, regardless of suffering, is something that we should respect and um, have moral consideration for, um, independent of whether the suffering is caused. Um, but But of course, you can also apply that back to the human case as well, because although adult humans might have a sense of their own mortality and plans for the future, human infants don't have that. Um, we would think, you know, their, their thinking and their cognition might be more analogous to that of some types of farmed animals. So, again, if we think that you have to have a rich sense of the future and a sense of your own mortality to have an interest in not being killed painlessly, then, unfortunately, we'd have to apply that to human infants too. And I don't think we do, because I think we do recognise that they have an interest in not being killed and they have an interest in continuing to live, and we can understand the evolutionary rationale for that. Um Again, there's another interesting thought experiment here, which is there's um, a terrible case in the UK of a doctor called Harold Shipman who um, is estimated to have killed around 250 of his own patients, um, largely by injecting with diamorphine. Now, um, those deaths were probably painless. You might even argue the moments leading up to the death were even pleasurable given there was morphine involved, but society's reaction to his crime was to put him in prison for life and um, where he eventually committed suicide um so again if people really want to be serious about you know painlessly causing the death of others um isn't intrinsically wrong we've got some radical thinking to do about our own human justice system too um the, the second thing and again stop me if there's sort of things you, you want to dig into here so that was the you know the ethics of painless killing.
2: Yeah, I'm- I guess I I could just add in briefly. um I just just briefly mention the work of animal behaviourist Jonathan Balcombe, who focuses a lot. Um, has he been a guest on your sentientism podcast? Or he hasn't. Yeah, he's yeah. on my
1: list. I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I really love his work in that he definitely acknowledges animal suffering and and that and he's very concerned about it as an animal advocate. But he also has a lot of work on animal pleasure and in in his work. As well, the idea that you know, other animals just like humans not only have an interest in avoiding suffering but have things that they enjoy in their life. So, just as though, just as cutting our lives short as humans is going to, um, is I would argue causing a harm because you're depriving us of you know future happiness things we enjoy, well, other animals also have things that they enjoy, and so preventing that sort of future happiness and future pleasure is 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 equally um, is, is a harm. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think just a basic understanding of, of animal behaviour sort of disputes that argument that a painless death in non-human animals is fine, yeah. I'd agree, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And an- another um, academic I'd point to who I have had the pleasure of talking to on the Sentientism podcast is Barbara King, and she's written really richly about the... Degree to which non many non human animals do seem to have an understanding and appreciation of death. Mm. Um, so again, I'm not suggesting that's morally salient here, but again, it's another place where we tend to oversimplify and mm. tend to um, you know dumb down non humans and assume there are certain things that don't matter to them that actually do. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'd agree. The, the second pushback is about this idea of the creation of a positive life being a good thing. So some people will say, well, in a sense, it's not necessarily intrinsically a good thing because there's no being if we choose not to do it there's no being that will be, be created so there isn't necessarily a positive there and that can lead you into some really interesting thoughts about different fields of population ethics which are probably beyond my pay grade um, but even if we assume that creating a positive life is good which is one of the central arguments for this stance, if creation of a positive life is good presumably ending that life as you've just said must be a bad thing. I mean, you can't say this positive life is a good thing and then the ending of it is not negative. I don't quite Mm -hmm. see how those things tie up to me. Um, And you might also say that arguably the better the life is that we've created, the worse an act it is to bring an end to that life. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, there's this strange balance here when people talk about supposedly humane farming or farms with happy cows and pigs and so on, arguably the killing there is even a worse deprivation than the killing of an animal in a factory farm because they have this net positive life that they could have continued to um, carry through for their full lifespan. And we're bringing that happy positive life to an end much m- much more quickly. So again, I, d- I think this idea that the creation of a positive life being a good thing that undermines the very argument that killing is a neutral act towards the end.
2: Um, And I think also those, yeah, again, those human population arguments aren't things that I've looked into a lot of depth. I can't talk about them with too much authority, but I guess when we get those arguments of you know we should have as many people as possible who could live good lives like the more the better because it's got to sort of maximise overall pleasure and happiness and, and those kind of things I guess none of them are based on the assumption that those humans will be killed at 20 years old or 15 years old for someone's profit for example and so I guess to equate those things is, is a pretty big kind of missing part of the puzzle and I think any, you know, there'd be no serious or respected for Who'd be arguing that would be the case uh, in the case of humans, um, and so I think you know those arguments, simple, like those debates about population are going to exist, but that would just never be phrased as a serious discussion. Um, and again, the human it would never be the case. But even again, I guess there's speciesism in terms of like humans over all other animals, but there's also speciesism within non-human animals as well in terms of we treat animals differently based on their species, but not based on Different levels of sentience, for example. Um, yeah. And just, just along those lines, I just happened to see something on Twitter recently. I don't know if you've come across this account, um, Jamie, but Elwood's Organic Dog Meat... Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just came across that last night actually. I just thought that was such a I just think it's actually again, I've only just sort of had a glance at it, but it did seem like a really interesting form of advocacy because it seems like they often get banned and that kind of thing because it's like it's violent, but they're basically using the exact same language as is used for those Um, yeah, promoting organic or humane or whatever label you would put on it, pigs and chickens and those kind of things. And so they do advocacy. That was out in London, one of their photos, um, where they're talking about the different cuts of... um, yeah, like lab, lab steaks <laughs> like, yeah, rather than lamb steaks and that kind of thing. And um, they've also got an advertisement where they're talking about this, you know, family farm and how well they treat their dogs and those kind of thing, which looks exactly like an ad for, um, yeah, the humane farming. So I just feel like regardless of the species, even when we go to non-human animals, um we do acknowledge that there can be degrees and obviously killing yeah. someone, cutting their life short. Yeah, so we're not talking like euthanasia here or where it is in the interest of the individual, but cutting someone's, you know, someone's life short for profit or whatever reason when it's not in their interest, it's your interest when doing the killing Of course, we acknowledge that it can be done in better or worse ways and that it can be done in particularly horrific ways. But when it does come to dogs, cats, uh, obviously humans as well, like the song... We're not even interested in that. That's just a minor detail. But the fact that the puppy was killed humanely, no one is really interested in hearing that or debating about whether it's done humanely. It's just besides the point, because I feel like as a society, we have a certain level of respect for dogs that we just don't buy into those arguments. I think rather than this humane stuff being about actually respecting pigs and cows and chickens, it's that as a society, we don't respect those animal enough that we can buy these not very good philosophical arguments.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We're very selective about how we apply you know, those philosophical arguments and that, you know, I think undermines them, undermines the consistency. And yeah, Elwoods are brilliant. They're, running, they're actually running ads in the London Tube Network at the moment. So they're reaching an even broader audience there. Um, and the thing that annoys them most is when people pr- claim that they're a parody when, of course, they are just a humane, sustainable, organic family farm who respect and love their dogs and there's a 20% offer on pug bacon at the moment, so um, yeah, bless your orders.
2: Yeah, yeah, we don't use the advertisements on the show, but we'll make an exception there. But uh, yeah, you can <laughs> check them out um, on Twitter. They're at Elwood Dog Meat, and I'll, I'll put a link in the notes as well to the ad they've done. Which again, I thought was really and really just sort of the aesthetic and the language and everything was just so much like a, you know organic. Any other <laughs> yeah, any other kind of yeah. um, products? I think they do a pretty good job as well. I, I think also it is kind of a an interesting leap in terms of these discussions. If I guess I go back to that comment on the online opinion, um, article I wrote and the person saying like, I could be hit by a bus tomorrow. So therefore, it doesn't matter about killing animals and yeah, while that's true, I guess I would say that I guess like killing an animal for profit at whatever stage, one quarter into their life, one fifth into their life, like that is more like deliberately running someone over in a bus rather than saying that this could happen. Like it's, 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 it's a strange kind of leap. Like any any of us could.
1: (laughs) Another way of putting that is everybody dies. So murder is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not sure it quite carries through, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a kind of a, a weird kind of argument that, yeah, we we can all die at some point, therefore, yeah, therefore killing for yeah. profit is, is okay, yeah, yeah.
1: And there, there's a few other th- sort of pushbacks I th- thought it might be useful to go through too. Um, so one, I talked about this idea of sort of bundling things together and offsetting, and that's another thing to challenge because – if we're bundling together this idea of creating a new life with their eventual killing, well, why do we have to bundle those things? Can't we separate the two acts out and evaluate them separately? You know, if creating a good new life is good, that's fine. But then as we walk towards the being with a knife or a hypodermic needle in our hand, can't we evaluate the act of the killing separately? Why do they have to be bundled? And that's part of this thought experiment set up that creates these sometimes artificial bundles, um, that links to this idea of offsetting as well, which is very contentious, where you might say, well, you know, we do some good, we do some bad, let's balance them out and think about the, the total, the sum, you know, result. Okay, but just because you've done something good doesn't remove the bad. It doesn't negate it. It doesn't make it disappear. The bad action is still there, um, even if you've done something good in the lead up to it. So the offsetting question is distinct. Um, and those relate to another way that people talk about it. Sometimes they will actually try and say, well, imagine the perspective of the being we're talking about here. You know, Surely they would prefer to have existed and then be humanely killed rather than never have existed. But in a way they've done it, they're doing a deal with themselves about the life course of a being that is not involved in this deal whatsoever. There's no, consent there's no agreement because before you decide to create the life there is no being to engage with at all right so again there's this motivated reasoning where i've done this convincing deal that feels like it makes sense to myself without them being involved at all and i'm using that to justify killing them for my own purposes um so again i think you can challenge those ideas about bundling and offsetting and consent and you know, who have we done this bundling deal with? It's really just ourselves. Um, and I think that does link into one of the other ideas you talked about, which is, look, instead of just thinking in these sort of clean, neutral terms about good and bad, and maybe a more utilitarian way of thinking about what we're doing mm-hmm. here, there are other approaches. You can use a care ethic that thinks about, should we care about other beings mm-hmm. and therefore presumably not kill them because they have an interest in living? You know, should we think about A virtue approach that says okay maybe it's virtuous to bring the being into existence but is it really virtuous to then kill them um you might as you mentioned talk about exploitation and power and oppression and justice and use that lens to say okay we've artificially created this weird thought experiment in our own heads but is it really just to behave in this way you know think about the power dynamics the imbalance the motivations uh, and the impression impression that's happening here um So, yeah, I think that's probably a a long list of ways we can challenge and push back on this sort of logic of the larder, but fueled by, you know, your puppy experiment or the concept of farming human infants for food. And I'd argue that if, you know, someone's philosophical arguments justifying animal agriculture also justify farming human infants for food something's probably gone wrong so (laughs) that can be quite an interesting you know thought experiment just just to play back to people you know these are interesting philosophical thought experiments but if you really want to be consistent and surely we do all want to be consistent and you take these philosophical arguments seriously here are some implications that will completely trash your intuition so let's let's make sure we're thinking this through in a fully rounded way, not just in a sort of motivated reasoning way to justify something we want to keep doing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, we'll have to move on to implications in a moment. I guess the final thing I'll say as well is I think sometimes – Like, euthanasia for animals is given in terms of the idea of, well, okay, I'm going to euthanize my dog because, like, it's in their interest, again, to the best of my ability. And therefore, like, killing animals in that case or killing that particular animal is not a harm. Therefore, kind of going from killing animals for profit or like where they otherwise would be healthy animals and would have a lot of their life to live is kind of almost the same thing. And we did a show a while back, I'll put a link to it as well, but it was um, Paul McHale Katapong Podoski, who's a philosopher um, moving beyond killing animals humanely. And he was talking about, he'd written an article on this idea of um yeah, humane killing versus killing humanely. So we go from okay, that is a humane killing, we're killing that animal to the best of our knowledge for their interest, for their own benefit, as many of us would support euthanasia for humans in the exact same circumstance, to that animal was killed in a better way than sometimes, and they're somehow morally equivalent or the same things. I think that's another another yeah. argument that sometimes gets thrown into the discussion, which doesn't. I guess we've got to think is this in the interest of the animal? animal? animal or is it in the interest of the human doing the killing for their own benefit as well
1: yeah exactly that sort of slippage is very common in sort of popular discourses where you you genuinely do take the perspective of the other of the being and use that in a sense but then it slips into something which is actually just for our benefit not for theirs and I, i do think there's this potentially sort of broad pattern about how philosophy moral philosophy works so we might start out intuitively with a sort of quite self-centered or small group centered ethics where we care about ourselves and our family and those around us and philosophy i think does a really good job at pushing against that and saying look we need to be much more universal we need to really care much more generously and that's not just a you know utilitarian thing of jeremy bentham saying can they suffer which pushes us to consider not just humans but non-human sentient beings as well that also applies in a sort of deontological or a rights perspective universal human rights you know every human matters or every animal matters so philosophy does a really good job I think of pushing us to broaden that moral scope be much more generous, it takes us away from our sort of groupish egoistic starting point Um, but then it takes you into this place where you have maybe a point of view of the universe or a view from nowhere or a view from behind a veil of ignorance and it's neutral and it's broad and it can lead you into all sorts of strange population ethics type stuff where you're drawn either to think, you know, you know, because life and suffering are inevitable, maybe we should bring an end to all sentient existence or the flip side being positive lives are good. Therefore we should maximize the numbers of sentient beings that have even tiny amounts of positive sentient experience. So you sort of end up with these weird maximizing views that can, you know, it is almost a sort of universal, neutral, universe, cosmic view of things, which I think can take us into different, into some difficult places. But surely at some point we have to then come back down to earth and say, well, that neutral perspective, that view of the universe has been useful because it's sort of broken my compassion and pushed it much further. But ultimately we do have to come back to compassion and caring about the perspective of others and, genuinely understanding the perspective of others, and and I would argue you know, individual-sentient beings. So I don't know if that path makes sense. You sort of start from sort of egoistic, groupy thing. Philosophy takes us into this sort of universal cosmic view that pushes us to be much more morally generous and much more broadly compassionate, but it has some weird thought experiment stuff going in, going on that can disconnect us from the visceral reality of the individual-sentient beings that ultimately we should be caring about. And so we sort of need to come back down to that idea of Genuinely caring about the other and showing compassion for others, and so that's a broad way. I sometimes think about the influence of philosophy; it can be really positive. But at some point, we've got to come back down to earth and care about each other.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes, yeah, there might be things that interesting philosophically, but probably more important is what we, yeah, what we do with actual individuals in the in the real world. I guess. So yeah, we're we're going to kind of finish up by discussing that a little bit. Um, before we go to that we're going to play another song another another vegan punk band Um, this is an Australian band from Perth uh, but we're playing Refuge Jesus uh, by The Decline I do have to give another note about swearing on the song all the songs today but um, this is a song about racism in Australia and they're a a band who's outspoken about animals Um, not so much in this song it's more like an anti-racism song but what I found interesting from an animal's perspective is they talk about um, Australian racism being tied up with eating meat as well like this is Australia we eat meat etc so I thought that was kind of an interesting um, angle for myself What I thoroughly
0: doubt you enjoy a three month trip on a leaky plank off wood To find out that when you arrive you're considered a threat to national security Struggle for survival in your war-torn homeland <laughs> At constant, fatal or violent And there's a cause of ammo, I'm sure you'd understand <laughs> Racist, jinx, and sad drives, you laugh alone with the rest They're locked in refugee camps and you claim it's for the best That rhymes and immigrant, I'm tired of all your racist shit There's a violence between national pride and racist figures
3: Play and we speak fucking
0: English. It doesn't sound like any place that I would want to live. This population just has no idea. An unaccepted nation, so I can self image. Extrusion, segregation, spoil, and fear. Fuck off, we're fools! Days of parliamentary national fighting, nation's bigotry. You're ignorant if you know who rulers are these. Colonies, immigrants, asylum seekers, refugees are all the same. Days of parliamentary
3: national fighting, nation's bigotry. You're ignorant, you know, Google this is me. Topics, immigrants, are still on refugees, we're all the same. We're all the same. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come.
2: topping up every now and then, more tea, Auntie. Thanks, bub. including your COVID protection. If you're an adult and it's been six months since you caught COVID or had a COVID jab, you can now top up with a free COVID-19 booster. It helps keep you and your mob protected from serious illness from COVID-19. So talk to your doctor or health worker about a free COVID-19 booster or visit health.gov.au forward slash top up to find out more. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra
1: a 3CR supporter. Hello, I'm Rory McLeod. I live in Scotland and I love radio. I can do the washing up. I could be in the garden. I could be in the car driving when well, I listen to 3CR, radical radio, it's a subscription radio, community radio on 855 AM. We do stream at 3cr.org.au. So you can become a member and donate money.
2: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. I'm joined by Jamie Woodhouse. Uh, We've been discussing some philosophical arguments around bringing animals into the world and what our responsibility is towards them and, and those kind of questions. We're going to finish up with, I guess, going from the philosophical to the more practical in terms of if we reject that uh what is it logic of the larder was <laughs> yeah um yeah. if 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 we reject that then like what does this mean for advocacy and and I guess how could this discussion help I guess inform uh messaging and advocacy and that kind of thing. So I'll kick it over to Jamie and maybe start things off. Any thoughts about yeah how we can incorporate this into advocating for animals?
1: Yeah it's it's a tricky one. I think um One thing I think it makes sense to do is to, uh, as we're engaging with others, try and judge where they're coming from, and whether they're acting in good faith or bad faith in the course of the argument. And that can be really difficult to do. Um, But there is a danger that we just fail to engage in these, in, in real philosophical arguments, because we're worried where they'll lead. So I do think it's useful for us to be philosophically clear and follow logic and be open-minded even to arguments that we find um, upsetting and and to work those things through and to to work out what their implications might honestly be. So I, I wouldn't encourage people to sort of just avoid these types of arguments or to shut them down or to walk away from them. I think it's good to engage with them if the person we're engaging with is genuinely talking in good faith and trying to work these things out. Um and you can work that out partly by you know how willing are they to take into account some of the things we've been talking about here some of the pushbacks and you do realize the implications this has for human ethics and you know and and if someone's talking in good faith they will engage with that and work it through if they're not then that will become clear quite quickly um so and this idea about some people who are engaging in these arguments not necessarily in good faith because they have a conclusion they want to get to and they'll use any argument constructed to get to that conclusion. Um, This is part of the difficulty if you um, maybe take too naive or too open approach in your advocacy, because you can expose yourself to the risks of being led down some difficult garden paths and to some awkward conclusions um, by people who are manipulating their own uh, logic and their own thinking to take you to places that you might not be prepared to go. Um, and I think one example, which relates to this idea, is um, the very common focus, for example, on factory farming. So if we're talking about situations where you know there's a painless death, there is an in inverted commas, as a humane death. Quite often, we won't be focusing on those topics because we'll be talking about factory farming. Partly because factory farming is you know the largest part of the animal agriculture problem partly because the suffering caused in it is probably the most egregious, but also because it's an area where we have the most common ground with, you know, even the average person who still consumes animal products. So it's an obvious place to focus, but there are some dangers in focusing too exclusively our arguments on factory farming, because it then can leave an implication that non-forms, non-factory forms of farming or animal exploitation are therefore okay. And they're therefore ethical. So I think, if, we want to, if certain people want to focus their advocacy on factory farming, that makes sense. But it's important not to reshape our philosophy around factory farming because that does open the door to some terrible things. So I think the way to do that is to be clear on the philosophy and clear on the logic that we've been talking about here today. Um, and that's partly about just applying those philosophical arguments through consistently and saying, well, to be honest, the reason you're against factory farming is the reason you should also be against non-factory farming because it still you know, causes these harms, causes these suffering. There's an interest in not dying. Even in the supposedly nicest animal agriculture, there's no such thing as a painless death. This is a thought experiment, right? It just does not relate to the reality of animal agriculture and exploitation at all. And another thing to do is I think we can be very robust just about the definitions of words. So when someone does say, you know, I treat, my animals with respect in the way I kill them we can refer to what the word respect actually means and what we would expect it to mean if someone said they respected us and when someone talks about um humane killing we can refer back to the dictionary definition that says humane means being treated with kindness and compassion so that doesn't seem consistent with someone killing you so they can sell bits of your body so um That would be one of my observations. If you want to focus tactically on factory farming, that's fine. But do it in a way that the philosophical implications even for non-factory farming are very clear and that the definitions of the words we use don't make excuses that others can use to end up justifying things. And we see that in so many different topics. You know, as a vocal vegan on Twitter, you'll find this all of the time. You'll have a conversation about animal agriculture writ large the person talking to you will immediately start talking about backyard hens or humane killing or grass fed cows that get massaged every day or regenerative farming right so they'll take you immediately from this large-scale problem to a tiny niche that they can they feel that they can then build an ethical argument about and i guess the The two things are, one is even those niches they're talking about have deep philosophical and ethical problems in that we should engage with robustly and very clearly on. Mm. But two, most of the people making those arguments aren't actually interested in those niche examples. What they want to do is use those niche examples to try and humane wash, just like greenwashing, the entire enterprise of animal agriculture and exploitation. So again, I think we can focus in certain areas, but it's really good to make sure we've got that philosophical clarity And those, you know, we insist on those definitions of words. And in every case, we're always going back to doing what you said earlier on, genuinely trying to take the perspective of the other, how they would feel. What are their interests? You know, and in nearly all cases, the beings we're talking about want to continue to live happily with their families. And even the most supposedly humane farm is presenting them with a very different uh, life course that we should reject. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful, but that's a sort of sense of where some of these debates can be really useful and interesting in advocacy, but there are also some dangers too because um, these interesting philosophical arguments can open up some sort of trap doors that we need to be careful not to fall into. But I think yeah. that central idea of compassion is um, I think keeps us on the right track.
2: Yeah, and I'm also uh, like a little bit critical of the focus on factory farming as well, first of all, because I think at least and, and you might have more information this but I, like i'm not even sure where the the, the line is drawn between factory far- It seems like a bit of a blurry distinction into that that's yeah. clearly factory farm that 's clearly not so I think that's one problem in terms of focusing on factory farming a little bit like the uh, sort of the opposite of like humane and these kind of labels are very sort of very ambiguous as well I see that that's one problem with focus on humane uh, sorry on factory farming specifically but I'd say another problem that I see with it i remember there was a flyer common flyer this is probably going back a long way like maybe 10 to 15 years but it was basically it was a why vegan flyer and it was basically like the argument was pretty much factory farming is bad go vegan basically it was basically all about factory farming i think there was maybe even one line in there at the very end "Oh, animals are still killed in you know humane free range etc but basically the whole focus was on factory farming and i actually knew an animal advocate back in perth where i'm from originally the other side of australia who basically read that flyer went vegan for a while then went back to the supposedly humane animal products because they'd kind of only been convinced around factory farming and then eventually sort of saw the arguments for veganism so i i feel like as much as Um, some of the discussions we had um, on a recent show looking at our ideal relationships with other animals and got into sort of complex sort of animal rights arguments those kind of things in a way like i think those discussions are important within the animal movement but it might not be the first thing you go to when you're talking to people about animals Um, but i do think that idea of like not killing um, is a fairly simple philosophical idea. You don't have to get into really deep animal rights philosophy, but I think that messaging around like, yeah, the killing of animals and that being a harm is something that a lot of people get. A lot of discussions I've had, not not just in you know, academia, but just in the world in general. Um, a lot of sort of people understand that, yeah, killing, that seems like not the best thing to do to you know, myself as a human, to my dog. And, and if you can extend that to a pig or a cow or a chicken, it, it makes sense as well. So I, I think that, to me is a much stronger argument which sort of it clears up all those sort of oh what about you babe? what about this what about that is kind of a much more all-encompassing kind of messaging but messaging which I, I do think can make sense to quite a large audience um, I guess uh, just off the top of my head there was the I'm trying to think. it's not the sentient Is it Sentientist Institute or something like that? There was a study a few years ago that found like nearly half of U.S. people in the U.S. supported a ban on slaughterhouses. Um, yeah, which it's was the Sentientist Institute. Yeah, yeah, which which is pretty like it seems like that messaging does have pretty broad resonance, but also the implications are quite radical and fundamental in terms of that would mean the end of animal agriculture if if that view was adopted and, and taken seriously. So. um Yeah, we are about out of time. I'll I'll hand over Jamie for some final thoughts in a moment, but just to finish up um yeah we are one till two every sunday and check out all of our old episodes via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species as well as on a bunch of podcast app as well if you've got any feedback on this show we're freedom of species at gmail.com in terms of email you can also message us on social media um stay tuned for rotations coming up next for some music and we're going to finish up with another vegan artist, but a little bit of a different, um, different style. So moving into some hip hop music. This is All Your Bases by Soul. Um, again, a note about swearing in the, the song again. Um, again, a vegan artist, not about animals, more about politics and mental health and all kinds of things. But I thought it's a good one to finish up with uh and i just want to hand it over to jamie to yeah any final thoughts you wanted to get to and yeah definitely um shout out to sentientism and where people can learn more and get involved
1: yeah thank you and on your point about factory farming i just agree right i think the worst aspects of factory farming from the perspective of the animals include the sexual abuse the family separation, the mutilation the imprisonment and the killing and all of those aspects to varying degrees are still present in all non-human non animal agriculture right all of the worst aspects are there you know they might just have a bit more space while those things are going on and in the lead up to the slaughterhouse so I think that point carries through and we can be very clear about that at the same time as recognizing there are different forms of animal agriculture that might be worse or less worse but you know those those consistent elements are still there and that appeal to the wrongness of killing i think is deeply intuitive mm-hmm. and in a way that's partly where you know i still get some hope because there is this sense that you know both science and philosophy generally you know agree i think with our stance that non-human sentient beings warrant moral consideration and that the vast majority of the animal kingdom are clearly sentient um and that they matter and weirdly despite humanity's current daily behavior, many, many humans intuitively sort of will already agree with this, at least in theory, right? I mean, who would want to needlessly cause harm? And who would want to needlessly kill? So, you know, it does feel like there's this sort of latent positive human ethic we can tap into if only we can break through these powerful social norms and sort of psychological defense mechanisms. But let's see. But it's been brilliant to be on again. Thank you so much. And yeah, if people are interested more about this sentientism idea evidence reason and compassion for all sentient beings There's sentientism.info which is the homepage. uh we have a bunch of different groups on almost every social media forum facebook is the biggest but they're open to anyone interested not just people who agree with the idea so we have plenty of fiery debates too so come and join the conversation there um and i also run my own sentientism podcast and youtube where i've been lucky to interview a dazzling array of guests philosophers scientists activists mm-hmm. um comedians even sci-fi writers and yourself of course mm-hmm. um yeah so uh, i've been privileged to have an inc- incredible range of conversations with people both who agree and disagree with the worldview but if you basically just google ism on the end anyway you'll find find our work so yeah thanks it's been great to be on
2: no worries and um, we'll put links to that in the notes as well and yeah, I highly recommend the podcast. I always enjoy it. Um, Rita listened to an episode with Andrew Knight, um, a veterinarian that does a lot of work on vegan pets and, and really enjoyed that show and, and really enjoy every show I've heard as well. So I highly recommend it. Um, thanks again for coming on the show, Jamie. It's pleasure. We're here on our own. That's the way they set things up. We have to find our own answers, our own way out of the
0: wilderness, Stunning path all laid out with viruses
3: afraid of the rain. We ain't afraid of the gas. little bit mass. Holding on by thread threat. You think it can last. Romans thought the same. China built a wall. Berlin to open down. We're still all screwed. This one's for the aliens watching from the sky. Now we'll be a good time to come down show us some goodwill. Cause it's going down. Every wall is coming down before we die. And if not, it's gonna be a bloody century. That's not a tenth the power. We Talking at a table about the 99%, and I started crying as I told him about his influence on my life in the world he never got to see. Woke up tears were drying on my cheeks and the picture.